You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. We are in Genesis this morning. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 47. Um, sorry, 45. We'll land in 47, but we're going to start in 45 verse 16. This morning, I'm going to talk to you and talk, we're going to talk together about heaven. We're going to talk about heaven, which might seem a little bit strange since we're near the end of Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, and in the section that we're going to look at today, nobody dies. Uh, no, no one almost dies. There's no near-death experiences in here. There's, there's no lights, um, bright lights, or anything like that, but I'm going to talk about heaven because you, as we read this story, this episode, in light of the whole Bible, in light of the, whole, of the gospel, we're going to see some glimpses of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth. And there's no angels, there's no harps, there's no clouds, but they're all hallmarks of what heaven is going to look like. Now, some of you in the room might be a bit skeptical, thinking, oh, man, is this going to be one of those preacher rants where, you know, it's not really there in the text, but we're just going to go on and talk about it anyway? No, I promise. I want to, well... I want to show you why I think we see glimpses of heaven here. This is a story, if you remember where we left off last week, uh, Joseph has just revealed his identity to his brothers. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery, who is now the prime minister of Egypt. And, uh, you know, and they're terrified, but by the end of the story, they're embracing, they're hugging, they have this massive reunion. Um, let me show you, though, or I want to remind you a little bit of the context. If you remember who compiled the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis was compiled by Moses. He compiled it specifically when the people of God, the people of God were leaving Egypt. They had just left Egypt. If you remember the story, you know the story of the Exodus, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, that Pharaoh, this is 200 years after Joseph, no, 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 I won't do it. I want my slaves. And so he wasn't going to let them go. And then finally all the plagues came and God forced his hand and he lets the people go. And they're there. They don't go immediately to the promised land. For 40 years, they're kind of stuck. They're in the in-between, in between Egypt and the promised land, in between slavery and rest. In this 40 years of wandering, Moses compiles Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he does it for a reason. Because he's showing the people, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, he's showing the people what does it mean to live as God's people in, on this side of heaven, on this side of the promised land, on this side of rest. What does it actually look like? And so Genesis is their origin story, and everything Moses includes, every episode is meant to help God's people learn what it's going to be like to rest in God's land. They needed to see why God led them to Egypt in the first place and how he provided for them lavishly while they were there. Um, it was all meant to be temporary so that they could plausibly believe that God was preparing an even better place for them, better than Egypt, where they would rest on the other side. You might want to um, picture your own life or the life of the church um, as living in between Egypt, where we came from, and eternal rest with God, where we're going. And we're in this in-between phase. God was with us back there in Egypt. He was 
pursuing us. He is the one who led us and caused us to become Christians. He revealed himself to you personally, and he ultimately rescued you when you were helpless and stuck and dead in your sin. And so now we're in this in-between space where we are learning what it means to trust him. We're learning what it means to know him and follow him. And God is giving us through his word and through our own life experience, he's giving us glimpses of what that day, of what heaven is going to be like, what is going to look like. And he does that so that we can live now, so that we can fight our sin, so that we can grow in faith, we can grow in hope, we can grow in love. We are ready for heaven. And so the text today is one of those glimpses for us. I don't know, how many of you have ever gone for a a hike up, up in the high altitude mountains here in Australia or maybe somewhere else? Been a few of you? Yeah, it's, you know, one of the best things, like one of the reasons we do that, why we like to hike in the higher elevations is that, is that you're going along, you're kind of in the, 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 the forest or wherever you are, and there's a lot of trees around you, but then all of a sudden you come to a clearing and you can see for miles because you're up high. You see just this beautiful view. And life is like that as well. If we're brave enough to look, we're going to get these glimpses of where we're going every so often. When we get out of the, the pit or out of the, just focused on the immediate, to look ahead and see the view. So we trace this story, this episode in the story of Joseph, um, the origin story of Israel. We're going to make four stops along the way to just take in the view. Uh, my hope is that as we do, we're going to be more eager and, and more ready for heaven than we were at the start. All right, so I'm going to start reading in chapter 45, verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can eat from the richness of the land. You're also commanded to tell them, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt and for your dependents and your wives and bring your father here. Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them wagons, as Pharaoh commanded, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave each of the brothers changes of clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father the following, 10 donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys carrying grain, food, and provisions for his father on the journey. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't argue on the way. Now, again, quick review from last week. Joseph has revealed himself, has revealed his identity, he's given them all a big hug, and now he's sent them on their way to go fetch their elderly father, who he is longing to see. Um, when Pharaoh and the, the, the whole palace um, hears that Joseph's brothers have arrived and that he's got a father, he is really excited, which might seem a bit weird um, to you. But if you think about the fact that Pharaoh literally owes his life and his kingdom to the wisdom of Joseph, you can see why he wants to honor Joseph's family. Um, and man, he honored, he rolls out the red carpet for these guys. You know, he, say, he, they, he owes them their flourishing. And so when the family comes, he's, you know, they get the best of the land of Egypt in verse 20. The richness of the land, everything that comes with that, he gives 
to Joseph's family. And then he gives them this, the royal fleet, as it were, the wagons to go fetch uh, Jacob back from Can uh, Canaan. They get fresh clothes to wear. They get donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt and a whole heap more food in the middle of a famine. Now, I think this is interesting because if this scene was to happen today, like if, it, if the prime minister of this country was to, you know, be like his family was to arrive from somewhere else and all of a sudden they get all this stuff, you know, from the national treasury, you know, they get houses and cars and clothes. We'd be calling like the corruption commission, right? Like that, that, that's not a thing that we do th these days. But in, in Egypt, in Egyptian culture, this was totally normal. Like you honor people of high position. You give them the good stuff. Um, why do we have all these details? Why do we have all these? Like, why does Moses include all of this? Well, if you know the story of Moses in the Exodus, which happened 200 years after Joseph, um, you might remember that when God's people were rescued by God, when they crossed the Red Sea and left Egypt, headed for the Promised Land, you remember they did not leave Egypt empty-handed. The, the, Moses tells us that they left with gold and they left with a whole pile of clothing. Why? Because at that stage, the people in Egypt, just the ordinary people, not the Pharaoh, but the ordinary people were so afraid because they'd lived through all the plagues. They're like, man, we've got to appease the God of Israel. And so we want you gone and we're going to give you a bunch of stuff. Get out and leave us alone so we don't all die. And so it says they plundered the people of Egypt. They left, God's people left with gold and clothes, all sorts of stuff. And Moses is telling his audience something. He's saying, guys, this is, you know, after the exodus, he says, look at the clothes you're wearing. You're wearing Egyptian clothes, Egyptian name brands. Look at the bracelets on your wrist. That's Egyptian gold. So you want to know something funny? It's not the first time God's people have worn Egyptian clothing. It's not the first time that, people, that God's people have enjoyed the abundance, the richness of Egypt. This is the fingerprints of God. This is God providing for you. And he provided for the people in Joseph's day. And he provided for the people in Moses' day. And he's going to provide for the people in your day too. Again and again and again. He said, guys, you are the true descendants of Jacob. You may have been slaves in Egypt for 200 years, but you are the real deal. You are the true people of God. And the same is true of those of us in this room. People of God today. I mean, God may not have blessed you with new clothes and, and jewelry from Egypt and the best that the world has to offer, but God still rolls out the red carpet for his people. Not in the same way the kings of the world do it. But listen to Paul in, in Galatians 3.27. His language, it's, it's a metaphor, but it's very intentional. Galatians 3.27, it says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ, so that's anyone who's a Christian has been baptized into Christ, you have been what? You've been clothed with Christ. Not with Egyptian clothes. You've been clothed with Christ. See, that's intentional. God cares for his people. And, and remember all the way back to Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve had rebelled against God, right after they had sinned and they were afraid and they were hiding from God because they were what? They were naked. What does God do? He kills an animal and he clothes them. 
See, this is how God, this is who God is. This is what he does to care for his people again and again and again. You, though, have been clothed, not simply with clothes that are made of cotton and wool and materials that will decay. You've been clothed with Christ, who will never leave you, who will never fade, who will never decay. All the hospitality that we give and that we receive on earth points forward, points to the one who rolls out the red carpet for his people. Which is why we can be content now, even with just a little bit. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I have a little bit or a lot, I can be content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's Philippians 4. The good stuff, it's coming. And it will keep coming and coming by the truckload because it comes direct from the storehouse of the king. It's better than Amazon Prime. It's better than anything this world has to offer. Heaven, see, is a place of red carpet hospitality. And that means something for us. It means that our homes and our churches should be as well. Every person who comes into your life, into our lives, is a person created in the image of God, is a person who should leave us with more than they came with. Not always just material things, but spiritual blessings as well. We've been given in Christ every spiritual blessings. In Ephesians 1, you are a co-heir with Christ if you're a Christian. If you're in Christ, you're a co-heir, which means you have more than Pharaoh could ever dream. You have more than Elon Musk or whoever the richest person in the world is could ever dream. You are a co-heir with Christ. And so wherever God is, wherever God's people are, there should be red carpet hospitality for saints and for sinners alike. Heaven is red carpet hospitality. Heaven is also resurrection. Let me read this from starting verse 25 of chapter 45. So they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They said, Joseph is still alive and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned for he didn't believe them. When they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of the, their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, enough. My son Joseph is alive. I will go to see him before I die. And then chapter 46, verse 1, Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. And Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their dependents and their wives. They also took their cattle and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt. His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed all his offspring he brought with them to Egypt. Heaven is something that the world cannot come close to imitating or matching. Heaven is a place of resurrection. Um, some people say that when Jesus was raised from the dead on that Easter morning, that that was, not, that was unprecedented, that it wasn't predicted or talked about in the Old Testament. And it wasn't directly. It wasn't. 
but it was what we call prefigured. There are glimpses of resurrection in the Old Testament, and this is one of them. Look at the details that Moses records here under the inspiration of God's Spirit. The boys get back from Egypt, back to Canaan, and they've got their massive hall, their fleet of Mercedes SUVs that the prime minister had sent with them, and they come with this message. Joseph, who you thought was dead, is still alive, and he is ruler over all Egypt. Um, last week, I quoted from Peter's very first sermon in Acts 2. And in that sermon, he's talking to everybody there that knew Jesus and knew he was crucified, knew, saw him thrown into the pit and left for dead. He's saying, this Jesus who you crucified is now alive. God raised him up. Verse 36, Peter says this. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Do you see the similarity? Joseph was dead, now he's alive, and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. Jesus, who you crucified, God has raised him up, and now he is both Lord and Messiah. You see the parallel. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And now he's Lord over everything. He's Messiah over everything. The Holy Spirit has preserved this story, these details, for a reason to prefigure the resurrection of Christ so that we recognize the way that God works in history. The Lord has done it again. Um, notice what else. Just like in the, res if you know the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus, remember when, um, you know, Peter first kind of finds out or someone tells him and then, and then there's Mary, there's the others and, and Thomas and everybody is skeptical, right? No one's like, oh yeah, resurrection, that happens all the time. No, they're like, no, that's impossible. No, he, he, not unless I, if I see it with my own eyes, then I will believe. There was all, these, all this doubt. Jacob was also doubtful. I mean, he thought his son was dead for 20 years. He didn't believe it. No way. And then he steps outside and he sees the big fleet of Mercedes, SUVs there waiting to take him to Egypt. And he's like, oh, well, I can't, this, I can't explain this any other way. It must be true. Um, you know, I, I think about like, think about if you were invited to a special event by the prime minister, like you received in the mail a letter, I mean, as, as if the mail is still a thing, but let's pretend you received a letter in the mail, hand, hand signed uh, by the prime minister of the country and uh, saying that you were invited to a special red carpet event in Canberra. But, you, but then you make your own way there, you, you, you get on the plane, and then you land, and you get off, and you see somebody holding a sign with your name, and then you walk out the door, and they are ushering you into a Suzuki Swift. And you're like, wait a minute. I mean, nothing wrong with Swift. But you probably think, well, something's going on. Something's not right here. Whereas Jacob goes outside, and he sees this lavish display, and he's like, okay, something, this must be from Pharaoh, because no one else can afford this. Um, and he gets in. He believes. He says, my son's alive, and I'm going to see him before I die. There, I, I love that. I just, man, to be there, a fly on the wall, when, he, when the, the penny drops, and he's like, oh, wow, I can't believe this. I'm actually going to see my son before I die. That, it's just incredible. There's a, a similar scene um, we sometimes read in, the, in Luke 2 in the Christmas story where uh, there's this old man called Simeon who has been waiting his whole life. He's waiting his whole life for the Messiah to come. 
waiting, waiting, went, not this year, not this year, not this year, not this year. And then finally, he's like in his 80s, and the baby comes, and he holds him in his hand. And he says, now I can die because my eyes have seen the Lord. It's, it's what's going on here. The promised one has come. Resurrection. See, it's a foretaste of heaven. That's what heaven's like. 20 years of grief finally coming to an end. Every tear is wiped away. Notice how Jacob responds. He goes straight away to a place called Beersheba, which might not be that significant to you. It's just another strange name in a strange land, but it is the place where his father Isaac had settled. And he, uh, Abraham had wells there. It's, it's a significant place in the family. And what does he do there? He goes there to worship and offer sacrifice to God. And God, for the very final time in the book of Genesis, he shows up. He appears to uh, Jacob or in a vision. And what does he say? He says, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. And they say, why, why would he be afraid? He's going to see his long-lost son. Why would he be afraid? Well, again, if you remember back to Genesis chapter 12, Abraham there was a famine in Canaan, and what do you do? He flees to Egypt and gets in a whole heap of trouble there. Almost got his wife killed. Chapter 26, there's another famine in the land of Canaan. This time it's Isaac's turn. And he's thinking about going to Egypt, and God shows up and says, don't go to Egypt because you're going to stay here to serve if you want to survive the famine. Now there's another famine in Jacob's time in Canaan, and he's probably going, okay, Abraham went to Egypt, and that was bad. Isaac wasn't allowed to go. What about me? So God shows up and says, don't be afraid. This is, this is part of my plan for you. Um, just as an aside here, sometimes whenever, if you study the Bible on your own, this is just something to watch out for. There are some episodes and things that happen where God's dealing with people in a certain way, and it's very specific to that person in that time. And then there are other times when God gives a command where it's not just specific to that one person or situation, it's for everybody. And so we have to use a little bit of wisdom and discernment as to know when God gives a command, is it specific to this, is, is he just describing something that happened once and may not happen again, or is he prescribing something that should always happen, that Christians everywhere around the world in all time should do? It's helpful you know, because you think, oh, man, well, how can we, how can we interpret? How can we do this? Um, it's, that's why we have community. It's why we read the Bible together, not just in isolation, where we can go to people who have studied and know and studied the original language, and, and we can work this out well. Okay? That's an aside. Last thing I'll say about this section is that even though the gospel is, as I said, an announcement of God's of good news, Jesus was dead, now he's alive, Jesus was crucified, now he's Lord and Messiah. Even though it's an announcement, the gospel always requires a response on our part. It's not enough to just hear the announcement and ignore it, because then it's not good news. We've got to hear the announcement and then do something about it. And that's exactly what Jacob did. If Jacob would have seen the motorcade, seen the Mercedes, and thought, nah, can't be bothered, too old, you know, he would not have been able to embrace his son. He would have died an old man of starvation in, Can in Canaan, but instead he believed God. He believed the good news. He got in the wagon and he received the blessing. Friends, Jesus is alive. And that is good news. But it is only good news for those people who believe, 
who then forsake all their other pursuits, forsake all their other gods, sell everything that they have, and get in the wagon. That is Christ. The gospel is good news for those who believe. Everybody who's in the wagon, everybody who's in Christ, guaranteed you will arrive safely home. You will arrive safely at the destination that God has planned for you. So not only is heaven red carpet hospitality, not only is it resurrection, here's a third thing. Heaven is reunion. We're going to see this. I'm not going to read the whole list of names in 46, 8 to 27, other than to say that um, the population of God's people, when they go down to Egypt, it says there's 70 of them, and we got all their names, plus their wives. Um, and then uh, it's like they're a, a caterpillar going into the cocoon. And so 200 years later, when they come out, they're going to be a nation. So they go in an extended family, they come out a nation. I'm going to pick up now in verse 28. Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. And when they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him, and wept for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I've seen your face and you're still alive. Okay, a few things to notice. First, Judah is still the spokesman for the family. Um, he goes out ahead to make preparations for their arrival. And as soon as Joseph sees him coming, what does he do? He says he hitches up the horses and he goes to meet his dad on the road. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son, if you know. Instead of the, well, in this case, it's the son running to the father. In, the, in Jesus' parable, it's the father running to the son. But in both cases, it's two men who their dignity would not have allowed them to do this. They're just throwing off all dignity, throwing off all shame, and running for that embrace. That's a picture of God. That is a picture of our reunion with God. That is what it will look like, and Christ makes it possible. Moses tells us that he, Joseph threw his arms around his dad, and they wept for a, a long time. Joseph is a big feeler. He's a big feeler. One of the manliest men in the Bible, by the way. If you ever wonder if, you know, manly men can cry, Joseph is exhibit A. Well, no, Jesus is exhibit A. Maybe Joseph is exhibit A in the Old Testament. In case you think that testosterone and tears don't go together, they absolutely do. Father Israel says to his son, I'm ready to die now because I've seen your face and you're still alive. Church, I just want to point out that if whoever has seen the face of of the risen Jesus is ready to die. Whoever's seen the face of the risen Jesus is ready to die. The only people in the world that can die fully satisfied with no fear at all are the people who believe that Jesus is alive. And you've seen him in his word. You've seen him in his people. And you believe that he was victorious over death, that he alone will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death and out the other side. Son will one day run to embrace you specifically. Heaven is a place of reunion. Yes, between those who have gone before us, but before that, Christ will embrace us. He will embrace you. And all those who through Christ have heard the invitation and believed the message, 
and are invited to the never-ending celebration. Heaven is a place of reunion. The last glimpse of heaven before we close. Heaven is, I said, red carpet hospitality. It's resurrection. It's reunion. And finally, heaven is rest. Rest. Jacob's family is about to find rest. It's temporary rest, but it's rest in the middle of a famine under the care and protection of the sovereign ruler of the land. No enemy can touch them. The famine will not destroy them. Let me pick up in 46 verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's family, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him my brothers and my father's family who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They also raise livestock. They've brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation? You're to say, your servants, both we and our ancestors, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. Chapter 47. So Joseph went and informed Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the land of Goshen. He took five of his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants, both we and our ancestors, are shepherds. And they said to Pharaoh, we've come to stay in the land for a while because there's no grazing land for your servant's sheep since the famine in the land of Canaan has been severe. So now please let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any capable man among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Joseph then brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? Jacob said to Pharaoh, my pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. My years have been few and hard, and they've not reached the years of my ancestors during their pilgrimages. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and departed from Pharaoh's presence. Then Joseph settled his father and brothers in the land of Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's family with food for their dependents. All right. So how does God usher his people into rest? He uses here the wisdom of Joseph, who knew the culture of Egypt. He knew the customs of the place. He knew how to live as a foreigner, as a Hebrew, as a missionary in the land. And he uses this cultural knowledge uh, that, uh, that he knows that Egyptians, for whatever reason, don't like shepherds. Um, doesn't tell us why. He just knew that fact. Um, and he uses it to, the, to their advantage. Uh, we see in 47 verse 5, his diplomacy is successful uh, because not only does Pharaoh allow them to settle in the best part of the land in Goshen, which he'd already promised, he puts them in charge of the royal flocks. Everywhere God's people go, they, get, they keep getting put in charge of things. Um, they are above reproach in the land. Um, I don't know if that's strange to you or not, because we live in a day and age when um, there's a bit more pressure, there's a bit more resistance, a bit more dislike directed um, at God's people. But here, they don't have, they don't, you know, Pharaoh doesn't interview them. He doesn't need their resume. Of, he just says, look, I'll put you in charge. See, Pharaoh, in this case, is an instrument of God, and he's unleashing God's blessing of rest on his people. In verse 7, Jacob meets Pharaoh for the first time, and Moses tells him he blessed him. It says, uh, Jacob, this 130-year-old shepherd who Pharaoh would have naturally had no regard for at all and even despised, Jacob now blesses the most powerful man in the world. If you look at, in Hebrews 7, it tells us that 
every time you see a blessing in the Bible, it is the more powerful or the one of higher position that blesses the less powerful or the one of lower position. And so what is Moses trying to tell us here? God's people, by virtue, simply by virtue of being God's people, are at a higher position and more powerful than the most important and wealthiest man in the world. It was true then, and it's true today. See, later on, the Pharaoh, the descendant of the Pharaoh, is going to turn against God's people. And things are not going to go well for them forever. And yet, it's still true. It's still true that the worst that the Pharaoh or anyone on earth could do for God's people is take their lives, or, or maybe their livelihoods. But they can never take away the blessing of God. The last thing I'll point out is verse 9. Jacob, he calls his life what? He calls it a pilgrimage twice. Now, most of us are not literal pilgrims. Um, most of us live in actual homes built of wood and steel. We don't live in tents. Even if you're renting, even if you've moved around a lot, you, you probably have not lived the life of a nomadic shepherd. But when Jacob uses the word pilgrimage to describe his life as being hard, he has something else in mind. And We've got to go into the book of Hebrews in, in the New Testament to understand that. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, the writer looks back to Jacob and his ancestors in Genesis, and here's what he says. He says, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. They saw them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. See, what, what were they seeing? They were seeing glimpses of heaven from a distance. And they welcomed these things. They greeted these things. Now those who say, this is verse 14 of Hebrews 11, now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, just not on this earth. If they were thinking about where they'd come from, Egypt, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And why do I bring that up? Why do I bring that up? Because the rest that you are looking for, the rest that you are invited to by Jesus, who said, come to me, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. That rest, the rest we're promised, the rest you're looking for. We can see it now from a distance. We experience glimpses of it now, little previews of it now. But then we'll experience it in full. So we can be thankful for moments and seasons of rest now. And we receive those things with joy and gratitude. But there is a rest that is waiting for you in heaven that is better than anything that you have ever experienced now. It's better than any kind of escape that we, you know, turn to in this life. Better than any holiday. Better than any experience. And to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, those of us who do the, the most good on earth are those of us who are looking forward to that rest the most. There's that old phrase that, you know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Lewis turned that on his head. And he said, no, that's not true. He said, those who have done the most good on this earth are those who have the most beautiful vision of heaven. And it's true. Because we, can, we know that rest is coming. So we don't have to strive and work for it now. We can be selfless. We can sacrifice we can live with little now because the rest is coming. It feels a bit obvious to say, but see, Jesus is better and more generous than Pharaoh. 
Jesus is better and more generous than Pharaoh. And here's what Jesus says. John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself so that I am you, or, sorry, so that where I am, you may be also. So do you hear it? Do you, do you get the glimpses there? What do you hear? Do you hear hospitality? Christ prepares a place for us. Do you hear resurrection? He says, I will come again. Do you hear reunion? I will take you to myself. Do you hear rest? There are many rooms. That's heaven. The people of God in the place of God under his rule and reign to borrow from Goldsworthy. It's heaven, but who is it for? Who is it for? Is it for the good people? No. Listen again to God's words to Jacob. When he appeared to him in the vision, he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid. I will make you into a great nation. I will go down with you. I will bring you back all the way from the womb to the tomb and beyond. He holds on to his people, the stumbling ones, the lost ones, the stubborn ones, the skeptical ones. He holds them all, the sinful ones. He holds us because it's not about us and our performance. It's all about Jesus, and Jesus is the way to heaven. He is the truth of heaven. He is the life to heaven. So as you come to the table today, I want you to come and receive his hospitality for you. That's what this is. It's a table set for you. I want you to receive that today, and I want you, as you receive it, to taste and to see the rest that's coming the rest that you will experience when you breathe your last breath and enter in to his rest. God himself will come. He will close your eyes, and then you open them to the most beautiful vision that you've ever seen. So let's come and receive. Join me in praying. Lord, we thank you for this vision. We thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you that, Jesus, you said yourself with your own words that you were going away to prepare a place for us, that we might be where you are. Lord, and we do long for that day. And God, there's a lot in this world that will make us long for other things. Good things, but things that are not ultimate, things that will ultimately decay, things that will ultimately disappoint, things that will ultimately die. But Lord, you never die, you never decay, you never disappoint. So God, remind us of what it is that we have promised, what it is we have looking to look forward to. Lord, teach us to long for heaven, that we might be useful on this earth, that we might be an oasis to people who are anxious, to people who are seeking, to people who are lost, that we might help others to have that same glimpse of heaven. So give us that glimpse again today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.